Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn for the last time in our evenings, not for the last time ever, but in our time together in the evenings, to the book of Ezra, as we'll be finishing up the book this evening. We're going to be looking briefly this evening at Ezra chapter 10. As we continue to go through the last part of the book of Ezra, and we're seeing the the various prayers of the people of God. We saw in chapter 8, a prayer for protection. In chapter 9, a prayer for purity. And now we look here this evening at a prayer for repentance. We look at repentance of the people of God. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. It is completely sufficient. And it is completely authoritative. Ezra, chapter 10. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women and children, gathered to him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel swear that they would do as they had said. So they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehonan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem and that if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month and on the twentieth day of the month And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord and the God of your fathers and do His will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do as you have said. But the people are many, and it is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, nor is this a task for one day or for two. For we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times and with them the elders and the judges of every city 
until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jehiza, the son of Tikvah, opposed this. And Meshullam and Shebathiah, the Levites, supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to their fathers' houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask this evening that you would encourage us by your word, that you would teach us the true doctrine of repentance, that we would seek after you and that we would forsake our sin. This we ask, O Lord, in the name of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Repentance is an important but almost foreign word today. It certainly is is not known in our culture. We see prominent individuals caught red-handed in criminal activity and in immoral activity, and oftentimes the best that they can muster is to come to a microphone and say, well, I didn't use the best judgment. Mistakes were made. I'll try harder. But you see, it's not just out in the world that we see this as well. We see this in the church. We see the church bound up in sin and we see very little effort to repent of that sin. Rather, we try and put it behind us with trite statements. We say, I'm sorry, and don't really mean it. We don't expect to see others change their behavior after they say it. And you see, the problem with that is, is that when the Lord changes us, when He gives us a new heart of flesh, when He justifies us by grace, there is a change that occurs in us. We become new people. We are not just right with God judicially, we become then children of God whom He is molding into the image of His Son. But you see, we're not perfect right away, are we? We know that immediately by our dealings with others. We still have anger with others. We still are tempted to take things that aren't ours. We still have conflict. We still sin each and every day. You see, being justified by God doesn't make us perfect. But it gives us, it equips us with the power of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of God's Word to follow after the Lord Jesus. And more often than not, that means repentance. Repentance is something that needs to be recovered by the church. We all speak about revival and desire revival. But do you know that revival almost always begins with confession of sin and repentance. And if we would desire to see revival in our land, to see the church brought up, 
to see sin brought low, to see justice among the people, then we must begin very close to home with repentance. Repentance is difficult and hard. We have to be reminded that we are able to repent of grievous sins and that we must repent even of our smallest sins. Repentance is, as our confession states, by it a sinner out of the sight and a sense not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins. Odiousness means hatefulness. As contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and by the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. You see, repentance is an evangelical grace that God gives to us to follow after him. And this evening we see Ezra leading the people of God in both a corporate and an individual way in repentance. And I'd like us to see briefly two things about the nature of this repentance. The first thing that I would like us to see is that conviction leads to repentance. It is conviction of sin that leads to repentance. And then the second thing is that there is a cost of repentance. Repentance is costly. It is not an easy thing for us to do. But then, virtually everything that is significant and important is not easy. That should not dissuade us. Conviction that leads to repentance. And the cost of repentance. Let's begin then by looking at the conviction that seizes the people of God. You see, the first thing that comes to us in repentance, the very first step, as it were, is a grief over sin. We see this right at the beginning of this chapter in Ezra's leadership. Ezra had just completed this great prayer after he was struck by the need of the people of God to repent, to confess their sin and to be right with God. Chapter 10 tells us that Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. Ezra was affected not just intellectually, but also emotionally by the sin of the people of God. And it wasn't just that he was worried about other people. He knew that that sin touched him as well because he was a sinner. You see, repentance cannot begin unless we have a grief over our sin, unless we are touched by the nature of the heinousness of our sin, unless we know that we have offended a holy God. You see, that's what makes for easy false repentance. If I think the only thing that I have done wrong is insulted or wronged another person, then I can get away with an, oh, I'm sorry. I hope you won't bring it up again. We'll go on as if it never happened. But if I understand that in sinning against someone else, I've also sinned against a holy God, I know that I need to be right with the Lord as well. And the Lord does not see false repentance. Ezra led in this. But I want you to see it didn't remain with Ezra. 
So Ezra is praying, weeping, and casting himself down before the house of God. And then something very interesting happens. A very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. And they wept bitterly. Ezra's leadership in repentance set a fire for repentance and revival in the people. This is another critical thing for us to understand in our Christian life. Fathers, the most important thing for you is not simply to always be right in your home. You see, oftentimes I think we can never show weakness. We can never say I'm sorry. We can never admit we've done something wrong because that will cause dissension in the ranks. You see, the Bible teaches that fathers are to lead their families in repentance. They are to teach their children that what you do when you have sinned is you ask for forgiveness and you change your way upon the grace of God. And that's what Ezra has done. And you see the effect of it. It gathers up all the people and they are equally seeking repentance for their sins. But we cannot just stay at grief for sin. You see, sometimes I think we judge our repentance merely by the amount of the tears that we cry or by the things that we deny ourselves. But you see, there is a second critical step to repentance and that is not just grief over sin, but that is action to remove sin. Repentance is a turning away from sin and a turning toward the Lord. And we see that here in the people of God. Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, comes in and he says, We have broken faith with our God. We have been unfaithful, he says. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women and we need to do something about this, Ezra. You need to lead us and we need to fix this. He understands the cause of the sin. And he understands the need of the action. And he says we must move on the way toward repentance. Now, the thing that I think is remarkable about this passage is this. How many of you know who Ezra is? All of you, right? He's the second Moses. He's got a book named after him, right? If I had asked you yesterday, who's Shechaniah? How many of you could have answered that Bible trivia question? Very few of you. Because you see, Shechaniah is, if I can put it this way, a nobody. He's not a leader. He doesn't have whole chapters of the Bible written about him. He is a simple man of God who is struck by the power of the Word of God and convicted of the sin of the people of God and seeks to go along the path of repentance. Repentance is not something that we must have some kind of incredible super-Christianity to participate in. Shechani is just like you and me. He is an ordinary man who is struck by the need of repentance. And he understands that this repentance will not be easy. You see, that's one of the other big challenges for us. The road of repentance is often a hard road. You see, he's 
suggesting a course here that will not be easy. We need to take and put away these foreign wives and these children. He's essentially saying we have to break up families for the greater good in order to keep Israel pure and in order to follow the law of the Lord. But I want you to see how he ends his discussion here. He says, but even now, in verse 2, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. He says, we have hope because we have the Lord. But it is not a vague, fuzzy hope. He says, because we have this hope, let us therefore make a covenant with God. Let us take action. Let us go to the Lord. Let us find His promises. Let, it, let us follow in the path of obedience. This is the hope that comes to us in spite of our sin with a God of mercy. Conviction of sin leads to repentance. But there is also a cost to repentance. The first and most obvious cost here is that there is a danger that is threatened. You see, this is more than just a moral issue. We have to understand here that this is a very unique situation in the history of redemption. So we cannot take the dictates of Ezra, and pluck them out and bring them into our modern age. I am not advocating that what we ought to do is go around to churches and tell people they must get divorced because they happen to be in marriages where one person is not a believer. Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians 7. But you see here what's involved here is the people of God are separated out from all who are around them to be kept pure so that the line might be pure so that the Messiah might come. This is a unique situation in which the church of God is also the nation of God. And there is real danger here. The actual survival of their community is at stake. We might think of it in this fashion for us, it would be as if we discovered to our dismay and to our sorrow that we had been continually admitting unbelievers to membership of Christ Church. We hadn't even been thinking about it. And we had been bringing them into our midst. And they didn't profess the Lord Jesus Christ and didn't follow him, but actually followed Muhammad and Allah or Buddha. And we had been letting them teach Sunday school classes. We'd been letting them lead Bible studies. You see, what we would have to do is we would have to take the hard task of coming together and saying, we must take this out of our midst. We, we cannot have a situation where we are unrepentant about the sin. There's also another difficulty and that is, there's not just danger, but there is division that is possible. Because any time that hard repentance is sought after, there's going to be someone that's going to say, you know, I just think this is too harsh. Can't we be nicer? Do we really have to go to these extremes? And we see that happens here. We see in verse 15 that Jonathan and Jehezeel, they oppose this plan. They say, we think it's just... It's too difficult. Can't we just let bygones be bygones? Can't we just act like it never happened? 
That's an easy way to avoid the path of repentance. But there's also another way. And that is, we might have to ask ourselves, does this decision affect me? If we do this, is it going to be bad for me? And if so, I don't want any part of it. You see here that these two men oppose this plan and two Levites, Meshulam and Shabbatai, support them in their division. Would you wonder why two Levites might support opposing a plan of repentance? If you do, I think what you need to do is turn with me to verse 29. Now, I intentionally did not read the entire list of names to you. But the list of names is there for a reason. Here's one of them. Look at verse 29. This is the listing of those who had taken foreign wives. Of the sons of Bani were Meshullam. Meshullam, the Levite, was very likely one who had taken a foreign wife. And he doesn't like this plan of repentance because he's afraid it's going to hurt him. It's going to be a problem. But what we need to do instead is to trust the Lord and to follow Him and His Word even if there are consequences that come to us. And we have an example of this as well. You remember our friend Shechaniah who so boldly came up before Ezra and said, this is what we have to do. We have sinned grievously. We need to separate out. And we might think in our mind's eye that Shechaniah thinks he's holier than thou. That he's the one that likes to put judgment upon other people. That he's standing there pointing out all the wrong things that everyone else has done. Except for the Lord has given to us. Verse 26. Of the sons of Elam, Mataniah, Zechariah, Jehiel. Now look back up with me at verse 2. Shechaniah is the son of whom? Jehiel, the son of whom? Elam. You see, when Shechaniah comes to Ezra, he is the very product of one of these unfaithful marriages. He's talking about dad and mom. That cuts close to home. Now, we don't know the rest of the story. Perhaps mom has become a believer in the true and living God. It certainly must have been hard for Shechaniah to come forward. But you see, he is more zealous for the word of God than he is for himself and his own family. Division is possible. But we need to think and follow the Lord. There's a third cost to repentance. And that is that the damage that sin causes is then seen open and before our eyes. You see, if we have to repent of a sin, we must declare the sin and we must say publicly that we are leaving it. And that has a cost because we don't like to have our sin trotted out in front of others, do we? You see, it had to come out into the open. The whole assembly needed to meet. They needed to have divorce court trials for a month straight. They carefully went down through each individual case. They did not make a blanket pronunciation. They looked to see if there were challenges or difficulties one with another. And it could have been much worse. 
You see, that whole long list of names shows that there are 111 improper marriages. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Except for when we think about the Israelites are about 50,000 strong. You see, the damage could have been much worse. We're told of a settlement of the Jews at a place called Elephantine, Egypt. And they took foreign wives to themselves. And what wound up happening was, in addition to worshiping the living God, they worshiped the gods of Egypt. They were drawn into that false worship. The damage here could have been much worse. But you see, God in His grace and in His providence came to the people of Israel. He raised up Ezra. He raised up Shechaniah. And they sought the Lord in repentance. This is a lesson for us today. It is not sufficient for us to complain about how bad things are. We are called to repent particularly of our particular sins. And to seek the Lord in His grace that He would protect us from our own false desires, from our own weakness, sin, and the devil. And if we seek the Lord in repentance, He will be found. And He will bless us with the grace that can come only from the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You, Lord, that You have granted to Your people repentance. We thank You, O Lord, for we know that without You, we would not be able to even know of our need to repent much less have the power to repent. And so, Lord, we ask that You would encourage us, that You would urge us, prompt us to repent. This we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.